Life Audio. God's love endures forever. Today, as we go through the psalm, Psalm 106, we're going to recount Israel's pattern of this repeated rebellion against God and his word. And so we're going to see this confession of their unfaithfulness and this prayer that God will again restore his salvation, his His essential relationship with them. And I think that's a powerful picture for us because when God's people, either individually or as a group, when we confess our spiritual faults and our failures and the things that we've done to not remain faithful to God, That's a way to line up with his plans to confess that because then what God can do is he can work through that situation. It's that humble heart where we're coming to him and saying, God, I messed up and I need you. That's the place he can work. So we're going to talk about that and more today. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with Him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand His will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are going through Psalm 106. And Psalm 106 is actually the last psalm in book four of the Psalms. We know that the book of Psalms is broken up into five individual books that are lumped together as the Psalter. And this is the very last one in the fourth book. And if you're just joining us, just as a reminder, we're going through one Psalm a day as a devotional reading, not to replace your Bible reading, but really to supplement it. Each Monday, I send out an email that has journaling prompts to go along with each of these episodes. And if you'd like the previous journaling prompts, you can pick those up for starting at $5 for the the guided journals on my website, shehears.org. You can go to the resources section. And that includes the journaling prompt space to write and a key verse, as well as a link to the audio devotional. Hopefully that resource will be helpful for you. I'm reading from the NIV starting at verse one of Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join in your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. 
Then they believed his promises and sang his praise, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire blazed among their followers, a flame consumed by the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull, which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them? Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the desert, make their descendants fall among the nations, and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord to anger by their wicked deeds, and a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. By the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He handed them over to the nations, and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin but he took note of their distress when he heard their cry for their sake he remembered his covenant and out of his great love he relented he caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive save us O lord our god and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise praise be to the lord the god of israel from everlasting to everlasting let all the people say amen praise the lord Psalm 106 is a pretty long psalm, but the reason for that is it's pretty much a survey of the historical sins of Israel and the way that the Lord continues to act graciously and forgives them. And so what the psalmist is doing is he's confessing not just his sins, but the sins of Israel. And then he's also looking at this grace of God because he's literally seeing before their very eyes this liberation from the exile that they have been in. And so what Psalm 106 does is it goes through methodically. And if you forgot all the things that were part of Israel's history, this is a powerful reminder of all the ways that they were not faithful to God, yet he remained faithful to them. Some might say that this is a wisdom psalm, but many scholars would say this is actually just a question and answer style that shows a wisdom influence. It doesn't hit the actual genre format of a wisdom psalm, but we do see a lot of wisdom in the psalm. And so that can kind of be the undercurrent of how you read the psalm. 
But there is some parallels to the end of book one. So the end of book one, one of the things that we see is these words for blessed and praise to the Lord. We're also now seeing this at the end of this concluding psalm of book four. And so it's interesting if you kind of track that, how intentional the editors of the psalms were. Like in some ways, we recognize that there is not necessarily a chronology to how the Psalms are put together, but there is intention. And yes, there is some chronology, but there are certain Psalms that are put in there on purpose, by a purpose, what we what that is, we don't always know. But the editor does that in a way that this showcases that there is intention about how, how they did it. As we go through the Psalm, there's a couple of things that I want to point out that I think might be helpful. In verses six and seven, so when it says we have sinned even as our ancestors did, this is the only place in the Hebrew Bible where we have this verb to sin in combination with a preposition with. So it literally says we have sinned with our fathers, or it could be translated as together with our fathers. The the NIV would say even as our ancestors. And so the psalmist is really confessing the solidarity solidarity with his ancestors, even in their sin. And what that tells us is you have to remember, these are ashamed-based cultures. This is a sense of guilt that he's carrying with him. Um, in some of the other cultures around the world, what you would see is it's a communal culture. That's what's happening here. We don't quite understand that in our Western mindset, mindset, but everything in a communal culture is connected. And so not just are they connected, connected in their community, they're also connected in their sin. In, in verse 15, it talks about sending a wasting disease and, and it kind of goes through some of the, the, cause and effect, the causes of the things that they did, and then the effects and how God responds. But as we're reading through some of those, and if you don't remember all of those, what they're all talking about, it's recorded elsewhere. Usually in your Bible, they will have a cross-reference where you can go and look up all these individual plagues and things and see what it's talking about. But essentially, it's going through this list of things that, that Israel has experienced. We're actually going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll dive into the rest of the psalm. Stay tuned. I think we have to be aware of desiring and pursuing things that are not part of God's plan for our lives, because that's essentially what we're seeing here. We're seeing the Israelites have consistently chased after things that were not not part of God's plan. And then there was a consequence for that. And so what happens is when we insist on satisfying something of our own selfish desires, like when God tells us, we're not supposed to do something, whether it's in scripture or it's by his spirit, and we insist on doing it anyway, there is a spiritual impact in our lives because of that. Sometimes, of course, there's a physical impact, there's an emotional impact, but there's a spiritual impact. And so God sometimes does let us have our own way. He's not going to force himself on us. He gives us free will, but then he also allows us to experience the consequences, spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever they are. And so while God may allow us to have our own way and to pursue the things that we want to pursue and have our own selfish desires versus what his desires are for us, he will allow that. 
But he has already given us guidelines. He's already given us direction. He's already given us his will that he has designed his perfect will for us to follow. And so when we do something outside of God's will, there is going to be a consequence for that. For example, he may allow us to make some bad choices concerning things about maybe our career. You know, he's calling us to a certain career and instead we go and we do our own thing. Or maybe it's ungodly relationships. It's people that you have allowed to have a close proximity to your heart and to your mind. And you know that they're not God's best for you, either in a romantic relationship or even sometimes close friendships. Or maybe it's the the pleasures of the world. You're chasing after those things to try to fulfill your heart instead of seeking fulfillment in the one that made your heart. But in the end, those things are going to have destructive results for your life. He will allow you to do them, but he's also going to allow you to suffer the consequences of them. And I understand that that is really hard. It's hard for us because we are born with this selfish, sinful nature. And our first instinct is to live for ourselves. But yet, what is God calling us to? He's calling us to die to self and to live according to his standard and his righteousness. Because what does that do? That allows us to step into the perfect plan God has for our lives. A lot of the things that we go through in our life is because because we have chosen not to follow God's plan for our lives. And there is a consequence for that. And that's exactly what we're seeing throughout Psalm 106. It then goes on to talk about, man, just a, a list of things that they do. Just, I, I feel like maybe in some ways it's a slap in the face. And, you know, we can be ignorant to that in our own lives. There's a lot of things I think we do in our own lives where we are essentially slapping God in the face. It's very easy to look back on Israel and point the finger at them. But I think the encouragement I would have for you is to recognize where you may be doing that in your own life. You know, this psalm is really focused on Israel's disobedience. And so there was an effect of what that disobedience was, where even it says they exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull, which eats grass. Like they have had this interaction as they're coming through the wilderness. We have evidence of how God interacts and, and leads them and guides them essentially like through a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. He is there present in a miraculous way. And even then they exchanged him for a made up image of a bull that they melted out of their own jewelry. They created it. And the bull itself, even that image, it eats grass. It's a created thing that the creator made. And so they're violating the second commandment. They are embraced. The bull is, which is essentially a God of a symbol of Baal. They're again, continuing to go down this path that is going to have a consequence. It's just a slap on the face to God. And and Moses himself, he stood in the gap before them. He recognized as, as their leader, he recognized what they're doing and he intercedes on their behalf. And he's saying, you know, to God on behalf of these people that are being so offensive to God, he's identifying with them and he's declaring to Yahweh that he will accept their punishment. He's asking for their forgiveness, but he's saying, if not, blot me out of the book you've written. He's taking it on as their leader so heavy, the weight of their sin, recognizing that what they're doing is not what God wants for them. And then they even go so far as seeing the this promised land, the, the Joshua and Caleb go in as the spies into the promised land. They finally make it there and, and they come back and they recommend that Israel should go directly into Canaan and take it as the promised land. And then what do we see happen? The Israelites reject that plan 
And there's a consequence of that. Instead of holding fast to the promise of God that he has promised because it looked different than they thought it was going to look like. It looked more challenging than what they thought it was going to look like. It didn't make sense in their physical minds. Instead of trusting this God of miracles that is consistently showing himself to be faithful in a supernatural way, instead of trusting that, they rejected God's plan. And so the consequence of that is this whole first generation to come out of Egypt, they they would die in the wilderness and it would be their descendants who would be taken into exile. It's interesting to me that the thing that keeps them out of the promised land is the fact that the promised land did not look the way they thought it was going to look. And I think about that in my own life. When I am working towards something and I'm holding on to this promise and I am walking through the wilderness and yes, I see God show up in the wilderness of my life. He is showing me his faithfulness through sometimes even miraculous supernatural ways and I see his faithfulness as I'm wandering my wilderness and then I finally get to the edge of that promised land for my life. What happens when it looks different than I thought it was going to look? Am I giving up? Am I resisting? Am I not believing what God has said or what God has promised because it looks different than I thought it was going to look? It looks harder than I thought it was going to be. And so that I think is one of the powerful things about this story that that we learn from the Israelites. There's an opportunity for us to lean into the promises of God and obey him. Or there's an opportunity for us to shrink back and to resist but yet, what is the, the outcome of both of those? Both of those are going to have a consequence. The consequence is either going to be punishment or uh, a delay of God's promise in my life because I'm not obedient, even when it looks hard or different, or the consequence is going to be the blessing because I choose to believe that he is faithful and step out in faith. I think that's one of the things that we learn throughout this psalm. There's another thing I'm going to point out before we read this over again. In verse 37, it says they sacrificed their sons to demons. The, the path that Israel took became worse and worse because what happens is when we start being disobedient to God, it may start off in the sense of we just aren't obedient to what he's calling us to do. So it's not necessarily intentional sin. It's just disobedience in the sense of, we're not doing what he's called us to do. But what that does is it sets this new standard in our lives where instead of listening to God's voice, we're resisting and we're listening to our own, our own voice. And that becomes the slippery slope where eventually what happens is we become desensitized to sin and easier and easier and easier it gets to fall into this pattern of sin. Look what happened from the Israelites. They literally had seen God part the waters for them and so they could walk through on dry ground for, from the Red Sea. That literally happened. All these supernatural things happened. And yet they continue to slap God in the face and fall farther and farther away in their relationship with them it's to the point where they literally were taking their children and sacrificing them to these false gods in the fire, like taking their children and throwing them into the fire because they thought that that would that would please these false gods not Yahweh not the God of Israel not the God they're supposed to be following but the other false gods that have in, had it infiltrated them because of these other surrounding communities when they were warned not to engage with these other communities instead they embraced them and it led them down this destructive destructive path sometimes people that worship and serve false gods in the old testament 
we're actually dealing with demons. And if you don't believe that's demonic, I, I can't help you. Send, you know, putting your children into the a fire uh, with this God that is created out of this, this statue that they, they made. That is ridiculous. And, and if you don't believe that that is not demonic, I, again, you're just choosing not to believe that at this point. But the, the thing that I want to point out is there's a similar way that we do that in our lives today. The demonic influence that was there then still exists today. And it's ignorant of us to think that it doesn't. It may look different. It may sound different. It may operate different in our own lives now. But how many of us are sacrificing our own children to the false gods of this world because we're not taking seriously the commands that God has given us in order to raise our children? And maybe it's not our literal physical children if you don't have children yet or if you just don't have children. Maybe it is the gifts that God has given you, the responsibilities of of the things you're supposed to steward well in your own life. What are you doing with those? If you're not dedicating them to God and you're using them to further your own kingdom or your own platform or your own desires or your insert thing here, instead of doing what God has called you to do, it's no different. And so what do we recognize about that? It is demonic. It's a way of taking what should be God's, what God has given you uniquely to use and advance the kingdom. You're giving it to another false God. As believers, we have to recognize that there are these beliefs and behaviors of the world that we are giving in to essentially demonic influences and pressures when we don't recognize them for what they are. And and that happens inside of the church and it happens outside of the church. But it's not like you just get up one morning and decide I'm going to I'm going to allow myself to be influenced by the demonic today. It's not like you get up and you say I'm going to choose to disobey God today. I mean maybe you do. But for most of us what happens is it's this desensitization that happens as a result of this continued disobedience. And so I think the encouragement is, is to recognize that it starts from this place of being disobedient to what God has called us to do. And, and we start off hearing his voice. We start off seeing where he's at and where he's working in our lives. And yet we still pull away because of our own fleshly desires. That I think is where we need to kind of hold our thoughts captive. And we need to examine our own hearts and lives for the ways that we may be doing that. Because that's the starting point for this slippery slope. And, you know, we see, despite all of this, we see God's faithfulness throughout the interaction he has with Israel. In verses 44 and 45, it talks about how he heard their cry. And it says, for their sake, he remembered. And what was the reason he remembered? Out of his great love. And so that is the place that I rest in when I'm recognizing or I'm thinking about the ways that I have done this in my own life to God, in the ways that I have fallen into sin in my own life, and then I recognize it and I cry out to God, we have a God that's faithful. We have a God that hears our cry. We have a God that remembers us because of his great love, not because of our behavior, not because of even our love, but because of his great love. And so if you find yourself in that place today, if you find yourself in this place where you recognize 
Okay, regardless of how it started, maybe it started because God called me to do something and I resisted. Or maybe it started because God was calling me to a greater sense of pursuing him and pursuing his plan for my life. And instead, I'm following my own plan for my life. Or maybe it's flat out sin. I, you know, you just know that you have this lifestyle of sin that you are pursuing instead of pursuing the things of God. Wherever you find yourself, I want you to know that what we see in the pages of the scripture it reveals the character and nature of God. And what we know about God is his character and nature that was there then is the same now, is the same will ever, ever be. And so if we have a God that hears your cry and has mercy and grace on you because he loves you, that he will find you where you're at and he will pick you up and put you where you need to be. But the, the key is, is you have to ask him. You have to come to him. He's faithful, but he's not going to force himself on you. We see that over and over and over with Israel. He's faithful and he responds to their cries, but he will not force himself. He will allow you to do the things with your free will that you choose to do. But don't allow that trajectory to keep you away from him. You're only as far as away as the cry of your heart. So with that insight, I'm going to go back, starting at verse 1, and read through Psalm 106 again. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as though a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived when they believed his promises and sang his praise. But they soon forgot what he had done. They did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire blazed among their followers. A flame consumed the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea, so he would destroy them. He, so he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them? Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the desert, make their descendants fall among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord to anger by their wicked deeds and a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was checked. 
This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. By the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord, and the trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came up from Moses' lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations who adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood." They defiled themselves by what they did. By the deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He handed them over to the nations and their foes who ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. But he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love, he relented. He caused them to be pitied by all who held them captive. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the powerful way that this book reminds us that there is a consequence to us choosing something different than your plan for us. God, that you do not force us to follow you, but that you have a best plan in mind for us. But Lord, I want to pray right now for the person that may have strayed from your plan for their lives, the person that knows that you have something better for them, the person that may feel stuck in their sin or the consequences of their choices. Lord God, I pray for that person right now. Lord, would you hear their cry? Would you hear their heart as they cry out to you, Father God? We know that your character and your nature is revealed through the pages of these scriptures and that you hear our cries. God, I pray that you would intervene for my friend that may be crying out today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in a way that's powerful, that's real, that's tangible. You would remind them of how much they are loved, how you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. God, I thank you for the way that you call us back to yourself over and over, that you are faithful even when we are not. Lord, I thank you for your spirit and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friend, do you feel like you need a little bit of one-on-one? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go through the scriptures or I go through the biblical concepts, I find myself thinking, okay, but how do I actually apply that in my life? Or if you've come to this podcast, it's likely because you desire to hear Jesus more clearly, to be confident in what he's saying in your life, the way he's leading you. I want you to know that I offer life coaching and spiritual direction. And while the two are similar, they're also kind of different. Life coaching is when we set goals and, and I help hold you accountable and help break those down into bite-sized manageable pieces to help you achieve those goals. But spiritual direction takes it one step further. We invite Jesus into the process. And through spiritual direction, the goal of that really is to help you hear God's voice more clearly. And so there's things that we will do like prayer projects and spiritual gifts testing and a life map and all sorts of things to help you get to a place where you can see this thread of redemption that God has woven throughout your life. And then also to set you up so that you can hear God's voice for yourself. Because ultimately, the reason why I do all 
the the podcast and I write the books and I have all the resources available is because I want you to settle into this place where you are confident in knowing the difference between God's voice, your own voice, and the enemy's voice. So if that sounds like something that you would like to do, um, life coaching right now runs about $97 for an hour. And that's for one person. I also have group rates available. And if you want to schedule that, it's if you go to shehears.org, you can go, there's a Calendly link where it says work with me and you can set up a time that works for you. I would count it an honor and a privilege to be able to walk alongside of you in that process. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.